Good afternoon, podcast listeners. This is Rob Plouffe. Welcome back to Mid-Michigan Bowling News, the podcast for bowlers in the greater Flint area and the state of Michigan. Okay, welcome to podcast number 15 for Mid-Michigan Bowling News. Today's podcast is May 31st, 2020. We're still in a state of emergency in the state of Michigan, thanks to Governor Whitmer. The bowling alleys are still closed throughout most of the lower half of Michigan. Um, The upper part of Michigan is starting to reopen, but um, we are still unable to go into a bowling center and bowl and uh, and or coach. So um, it is what it is. Hopefully by June 12th, things will start to open back up. But today's podcast, I have a special guest here with me today. Um, This guy's pretty special to me. No crying aloud today. <laughs> so um, I decided to ask my best friend in the world, Mr. Bob Tubbs, to come join me today for a podcast to give us some little, a uh, little different insight. He's been listening to my podcast, and uh, I think that he could add a lot to this. So um, we talked a little before we started. We we're thinking that uh, this might take 45 minutes, but it's probably going to take more like an hour and a half. So we may end up splitting this into a couple. We'll see how this goes, but. Um, Bob is a, a Greater Flint USBC Hall of Famer. Used to be the he's a past president of the Greater Flint USBC. Um, he is also a member of the MHSIBCA Hall of Fame, coaching, as he is the head coach of the Davidson Boys Bowling Program. So welcome to the show, Mr. Tubbs. Well, thanks, Rob, for having me here. Um, before I get started. Um, I've been listening to the podcast. You're doing a great job. This is this is a fantastic idea, um, and uh, I've been very impressed uh, with what I've heard. And I think you're doing a great job. So, congratulations and much more success in the future. Thank you very much. Hopefully, this uh, this podcast right here might help this thing take right off because <laughs> we're hoping to uh, promote the sport of bowling more in the state of Michigan. Help coaches out. Um, promote kids. Uh, that's what I'd really like to do, and uh, recognize people that are doing something special in our sport. So uh, we're going to start off. My first question for you today, and uh, you can take as long as you want to answer this. Okay. I want you to give us your background. Tell us how you got to where you are now in the sport of bowling as the head coach of the Davison Boys Varsity Bowling Program. So take it over. Okay. Well, um... When we came out, uh, Rob and I uh, met uh, in a national championship uh, team, and that's been covered before in these podcasts in Ohio, and uh, they asked us both to bowl on the same team. It uh, became an instant friendship, and then we took that to travel leagues and and all kinds of heavy competition, MJMAs, and and bowling all over the state, and bowling all over the Midwest, and really refined our game as juniors. and, And, you know, eventually the day comes where they don't let you bowl as a youth anymore and you have to move on to the adult leagues and we did all the competitions uh, with the with the state and I got involved with going to nationals and competing in Michigan majors and other 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 platforms and bowled all over the country and it was it was quite an experience and pro shots uh, of course was a whole new new world after we got out of juniors uh, after a while the family started to grow and you know the travel calmed down a little bit and the competition uh, 
calmed down a little bit and it was more of the competitive leagues in the Flint area, which we had an incredible amount of competitive leagues in the in the eighties and nineties. Um and then uh there was a night I was bowling the Tiger League and Tracy Green pulled me into the bar and he said, Davison needs a bowling coach. And he said that the people that were running it now were doing a fair job of running the program, but not a strong job of developing the talent. And he was concerned that uh, they he needed we needed somebody to to take a take a hold of the program and and really see if he could move it forward. I interviewed with the Davidson High School and they offered me the boys coaching position. Um, the girls team was a lot more successful. And that was a, 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 a tough decision between the two. They, they offered me my choice, but my heart was with the boys. Um, and I think our first year we went six and four. And I could I, I learn to cut my teeth at see which teams were having the successes, which teams were, were finding their ways to the wins, how we could get more out of the guys that we had. Um, matter of fact, the winning record was, was quite, a, quite an increase from the previous year. So um, your first year of coaching was what year? I think that was the 0405 season. I'm pretty sure it was too yeah. because I started the year after you. Right. So you've been coaching for 16 years. Mm-hmm. And your very first year was also the very first year that the MHSAA sanctioned bowling as a high school sport. Yes, it was. Yep. Coming out of that. Um, and it was uh, now that the sport is being recognized, the high schools are getting more involved. More and more programs are coming on board. Uh, I think it was after my first season, I got a taste for everything that was going on. Um, we were six and four. I met with my athletic director, and he asked me what I thought about next season. And I said, well, we're going to go undefeated. We're going to win conference, and we're going to go to states. Now, we were six and four the year before, and we got run out of the bowling alley by Grand Blanc and Carmen. I mean, it wasn't even close, like 30 to nothing. And here I was sitting in front of my athletic director telling him we were going to go undefeated, win conference, and go to states. And uh, I told him, I said, and if we don't, you can fire me. So um, I remember him asking the girls coach if he wanted to make the same declaration, and he passed on that. Um, we went undefeated. We went states. We won conference. Um, it, it's, it is just, uh, and Rob touched on this, you have to commit yourself as a coach to 24-7, 365 to the program. And after my first year, I just knew what we needed to do. I knew how we needed to practice the next season, how we needed to approach our matches, how we needed to approach our meets, what we needed to focus on in the, in the practices, how to get ourselves better. And then uh, um, we've had an incredible amount of success in the last 16 years at Davison. Um, we're, we're one of the top uh, Division One boys programs in the state. We've had a lot of success. Um, and I'm proud of that. I'm proud of what the boys have been able to do and the hard work that they put in and that every year we come back and every year, it seems like every year we're there and, uh, coaches see us. And when we started, it was where's Davison and the local people were like, I didn't even know we had a bowling program. And now 16 years later, we walk into a bowling alley and they go, Davison's here. And they go, and then people in the local go, how's the team doing? How are we looking? How are we, how are we going to do this year? Um, and that's, that's, you know, I have to, to, to say how much I appreciate Tracy Green having faith in me to take over the program, the Davis community for, for wanting me to run the program. Um, 
and uh, the support I've got from Davison. But Roll, uh, roll Away Lanes. And Roll Away Lanes, yeah. Roll Away Lanes and the Green family. Fantastic job. But someday we'll have to tell the story about how close that came to not happening. And you and I are the only ones that know that story. Maybe that's better for another time. Yeah, we'll keep that a secret for now. <laughs> well, you should definitely be proud of what you've built. Um, and, and I can tell you uh, the Davison girls side of the program was lights out for years. And um, they used to kick my butt regularly as uh, at Kersley. And when, when I first started coaching, we were in the same conference. It was, wasn't until my third year, I think, that, um, that we got moved out of the conference and went to the Flint Metro Conference. Mm-hmm. You guys were kind of left without a conference for a little bit. I mean, it was still the Big Nine, but it was dwindling. Um, oh, yeah, it was getting smaller. <laughs> so what's your thoughts on the uh, Saginaw Valley Conference? Um, well, just to touch on what you just spoke to, um, I kind of see that as kind of a Pistons-Bulls kind of scenario. Um, when you were in the Metro Conference and those Davison girls were giving you fits, you learned how to rise above uh, those difficult situations. And then when your program, then when your program really started to soar, you never looked back. And to this day, I've always, I've kind of always kind of looked at that that way. What what uh, what you did when you were in the Metro Conference. When, whenever you had a setback, you, you, you grew from it, and then and you learned from it, and then you made sure it didn't happen again. And when you went to the Met- and when you took the Metro, you took off, you dominated, and you just didn't beat Division Two talent. You beat Division One talent in tournaments, and you got uh, your revenge on those on those Davison girls <laughs> in well, those tournaments. Well, it was uh, it was apparent to me after a few years that the best bowling talent around on the girls side for sure was here right here in greater flint area oh yeah and if i could compete with davison i could compete with just about anybody in the state those girls teams were tough yeah they were very very good you're talking about two miss bowlers and six uh collegiate uh bowlers who went on to put in you know full four-year terms at major programs and that just that's that doesn't happen very every day and you were battling those teams, and yep. you held your own. You did good. All right. So we're now to the point where you are the Davison Bowling Program. You're the face of the Davison Bowling Program, pretty much. I mean, you've been there for 16 years now, going on 17. Yep. Um, so I had told this story before in some podcasts about Don Hargraves. He was... <laughs> He was a huge influence on, on me between him and uh, Jim Menzing. Um, and back back in those days, you and I were, we were bowling together. We were hanging out together all the time. And I, I think I was the one that told you, Tubby, you need, you need to come do these summer workouts. You got you to gotta come work out with Don Hargraves. Uh, this is incredible. So what I would like you to touch on right now is um, tell us about your workouts with Don Hargraves. Okay. I think I told the story about you showing up late the first year already <laughs> well um and then uh also while you're talking about this uh, maybe give us an example of some of the workouts that don did that okay. uh maybe that i haven't touched on yet and then tell us what you <laughs> learned what did you learn from don hargraves well um a lot of the success that i had in the men's leagues and i was lucky enough to be on well our city championship team 
um, as well as uh, with Mr. Spishek, a city city uh, league championship team, and with um, and with Bob Wagner and and some others, uh, Steve Bisco, league champion, um, and that I competed in a lot of uh, of the top leagues, and that these guys wanted me, and the reason they wanted me was because of my spare game. But uh, none of that happens without the workouts with Don Hargraves. And, and um, what do you mean the reason they wanted you is your spare game? <laughs> Come on, you threw a lot of strikes. Okay, well, <laughs> I was, I, you know, I was a two two hundred plus average, two ten, two twenty average. Um, and uh, but I, I always prided myself on the spare game. Um, I always thought it was a strike is a success, a spare is a success, but a hole was a failure, and um, that you know I needed to, to support my team. And that's that was my, my my two goals. One was to fill every frame I possibly could, and the second was to always pump up my teammates in any fashion. I, if I came up the lanes from a strike or a spare or a miss split, I had to have the same uh, emotion, the same tenacity, the same support, the same excitement for my team because I wasn't I, that needed that needed to either continue the success or we needed to put an end to the to the to the holes right there. And that was my job. Uh, I've had a, had a couple of teammates and juniors that coming out the lanes were just the sad sack guy, doesn't put his hand out for the high five, even when he doesn't make it, and you say, good try, or good, you know, and just, I just, I, those kind of guys just, I couldn't bowl those kind of guys. I had to be the pep guy. The, I had to keep you up. I had to keep my teammates up. So you listened to my last podcast. I heard you mention that. <laughs> but um, it did strike a note with me because it was something I prided myself on. I absolutely loved following you in the lineup. <sighs> It was fun. Uh, we always knew that if we were in a line, it was going to be me and you. And uh, I always knew that you know I had to give, you know, you as much as I could coming back off that lane, no matter what I, no matter what I was doing. If I was uh, doing well, you were doing well. We were both doing well or struggling. It. You had to keep the momentum up. But uh, there's a few other things that I did over the years, and some of them aren't you know good, aren't PG. But we'll. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's another story for another for another place. So tell us about um, Hargraves, about so, the workouts. So uh, I went to the workouts with Don the first year, and I re- I was committed to it, but I but I had I had this other commitment, and I had made the mistake of uh, of missing the one workout because of a, a, a conflict. And uh, Don Don, as you heard in the story, he basically told me I was done, get out of here, you're not wanted here. Um, after I begged for a second chance, he finally said he went he said next year it was what he finally gave me. And that was enough for me. So I called him that next summer and uh, asked him if I could come back. And he said, if you're a minute late, um, you're done. He said, don't even, if you're a minute late, don't even bother coming. So um, I, I put uh, my, put my heart and soul into that year and it changed my game. Um, matter of fact, Don's influence on the Davidson bowling program is there. If he came in and watched our practices, he would see a lot of things that Bruce Sullivan taught him, the Hall of Famer. And that he taught us, and that Paul Snyder uh, and Jeff Wilson supported in us over the years uh, during those workouts in the following years, and just you know drilled into our heads the the right way to execute the shot and the proper way to um, to be balanced at the line, to, to follow through, where to be, where your concentration should be how you should mentally approach the game, how you should talk to your opponents, how you should listen to your teammates. I mean, Don covered everything. And it was it was immersing. And I remember the the, the, the year that I came back, 
I started taking notes and I kept a notebook of the whole thing and I wrote what I did and what happened to me and how it happened and what I felt I got out of it. I wrote down the things that he did with the other people. Uh, you remember the quarter trick. Um, somebody was struggling miserably. Couldn't hit their mark, couldn't hit their mark, couldn't hit their mark. Don walked down the lanes and put a quarter on the 12th board and then walked back and put a $5 bill um, on the um, ball return and said, hit the quarter, get yourself five bucks. And the, and the guy went out, we don't use any names, and he, the quarter goes flying in the air on the first shot. And, of course, John turns to him and says, if I put a quarter on the lane and I offer you five bucks, you can do it in a split second. But yet, a frame ago, you couldn't hit your mark. And he said, this is not a matter of inability to execute the shot. This is a lack of concentration or a lack of trust in yourself and you know you write you write these things down and you remember these things that was people, brilliant to write yeah. that stuff down where is it uh, <laughs> it's in my garage um in a whole bunch of bins um but um uh, i pulled that stuff out when we first started coaching i wish and i would have wrote that stuff down there was so many things i think you've heard on some previous podcasts there was workouts that he made us do that i had no clue why yeah. He made us do them until literally 10 years later. 10 years later, I would be doing something in the bowling alley and say, oh, my God, this is what Hargraves was trying to teach yeah. me 10 years ago. Oh, the first workout was 100 frames of holding your arm up until the ball hit the pins. This wasn't the Dick Rickers loose arm swing, swing momentum. This was throw the ball and hold that arm up there. Now you're thinking, ah, I can do this. And after about three or four games, you're like, you know, you may have a mental lapse, and Don would say, uh, "Arm," you know. You're like, "Oh, yeah, I got to keep that up there, don't I?" Because you, you, and then after about six or seven games, you start to feel a little bit of burn in your in your um, forearm and um, in your uh, tricep, and then by the time you get to the ninth game, your bicep and your wrist are screaming, and you realize, you know. And then by the tenth game, you you know you're 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 so thankful that it's over, but um, you know, but it was 100 frames of just saying of muscle memory. When you throw the ball, you need to follow through, and that's this is this is and down everything was in building blocks with Don. This was your first building block. This is what you're gonna do. You're gonna you're gonna focus on following through. And then we would come back and we'd do challenge matches. And Don would take the best of the best, and they'd bowl with him. And then you'd go on down the line, and he'd match you up with somebody at your level. And you'd bowl a six-game block against your opponent. And then every missed frame was five penalty frames. And the penalty frames were designed to not be a pleasant experience. So once we got past the six-game block, and you bowled your penalty frames, and some of those nights, I remember a night I had 12 penalty games. One, uh, one of the, the very first times. And that just made you not want to miss another spare for the rest of your life. And during those penalty frames, you can't talk. And Don and Paul and Jeff would have a field day just berating you while you're shooting your frames. Um, <laughs> I remember and, and those that days. that was on purpose. Oh, yeah. That was to penalize you for not making those spares. <laughs> and I think we, would, we came back in the next time, and it was 10 solid games of watching your mark. Watching the ball roll through your mark. No, no consideration for the, the overall score or where the ball went. But you picked your mark and you watched that mark and you kept your head down. Of course, you followed through. Um, but, you know, it was just a, and it, 
And now he's working on, so first he's working on making sure that elbow and that arm and that shoulder are in, and the arm is in the proper finishing place. And it's getting there every time. And then we're coming back out now and we're keeping our eye on the mark. Well, if you're keeping your eye on your mark, you're keeping your shoulders and your head in a, in a, in a, a, lower, a lower position so you're not raising up at the line. And this is what he's trying to teach you with these 100 frames. So for 100 frames, you're doing that. And every time he sees you pop up, he's saying, hey, what are you doing? You got to keep yourself. You got, are you looking at your mark? Or are you looking at the pins? And what he's trying to teach you is those pins are not your friend. You, you can stare at those pins and throw the ball at them all day long, but you're going to score by making sure that you're doing all the fundamentals right. Are you balanced at the line? Are you following through? Are you keeping your focus on your target? And one thing that I learned there that I, I've told my kids for years, Dom always say, you'll hear more strikes than you'll ever see. And that rings so true. And uh, that, I mean, a lot of the scores that I had following that, following those workouts had to be when I would be disciplined enough to say, if I wanted it bad enough and the opponent was tough enough and, I, and, I, and, I, and the desire was there and the motivation was there, that I could throw 12 shots almost exactly the same. And if I had the right line, then, then I was going to score that night. I was going to score big. Uh, and my opponent was going to pay for it. And, you know, and it would also allow me a little opportunity to, to, to you know, as those of you who remember me from my youth, um, to... Uh, play a little bit of distraction too and that's that might be a whole other discussion <laughs> did you but, learn any of that from don well don used to say that when you're bowling well when somebody's bowling well walk up to him and tell him man you're bowling great and he said um because that'll it'll throw him off a little bit because first they want to know does he really mean that or does he think i'm just getting lucky or does he think it and right there i'm what am i doing i'm not thinking about my game i've already the cheese has slipped off the cracker. Are right there. Um, I've already, I've already gotten myself distracted. So Don would say, if Don, Don would say, if anybody ever comes up and says, "Hey, you're bowling great," you look them right in the eyes and say, "I'm just hitting my mark," and walk away, and leave it there, and you know, and dismiss it. Um, that you know, your focus has got to be your focus. Um, in, in any sport, golf, tennis, bowling, it's all about your focus. And your ability to execute your shot, and you can't allow the distractions. And when the distractions come, you have to find a way to deal with them. And it, Don would just say, "Dismiss it. I'm just hitting my mark, and just move on." Um, I've, I've used I used that uh, "You're bowling great" uh, a lot with adults. I I won't I won't do it to a kid. Um, I couldn't live with myself. I, I can't. Um, matter of fact, if you watch some of our matches, you will see a lot of the times, if only our opponent's up, you'll see my head down. And that's because I've told myself I cannot root against a kid. Even though that kid's trying to beat my team and he's trying to beat my guys, I cannot root against a kid. So I will not watch that kid bowl simply because I don't, you know, they're, they're my opponent, we're trying to beat them, but I don't want to ever find myself in a position where I'm rooting for this kid to fail because he's bowling against my team. And I, so a lot of times you'll see me to put my head down, you'll see me look away. You'll even see my, ask my, ask my guys, has he bowled yet? Um, and people think that's, it's a strange behavior of mine. And, uh, but that there's, there's, there's the reason it's, it's, I just can't root against a kid. I've noticed that a lot. I just can't. When, I, when I've watched you. I cannot watch the opponent um, bowl and I can't. And, and I'm the same way. I, I would never ever root against a kid. In fact, I think I've been the opposite of, uh, 
and I'm sure you have too. If, if some kid's bowling well, you're rooting for him. Oh yeah, yep. If the opponent, if a team, a kid on the opponent team throws a 300, I I, I don't want to be the first guy up, but I will be up, and I will tell my guys, you know, make sure, hey, congratulate me. That was that was good. Yeah. Uh, on the con- uh, on the reverse side, one of my teams, and I'm not going to mention who it was against, shot a, a Baker 300, and the opposing team, not one member of that team stood up and congratulated my guys. And I thought to myself, that that I'm still thinking about that today, and it's it was four or five years ago, so you don't forget that stuff. No, um, it's it's this is this is an offensive sport. There's no real defense, and you've got and if your opponent has a good day, then you stand up and you congratulate them for that. Um, there's just no other way around it. I mean, you just that's what you do. Um, well, you, you just made me uh, just made me think about our Baker 300. My uh... The Kersey girls bowled a Baker 300 back in December in a tournament up at Monitor Lanes in Bay <laughs> City, and it was against uh, South Lion East. And before we went to bowl in the, I think it was the ninth frame. Maybe it was the tenth frame. I think it was the ninth frame. Uh, the lane broke, and the coach from the other team came over and said, "Hey, if you want, tell your girl to go up and bowl. We don't want we don't want to screw up the mojo. You guys are going for 300." Yep. Yep. Keep it going. So. Oh. I said, don't worry about it. It's fine. Everything's cool. <laughs> we'll and it. it all worked out. Um, but uh, their team was just as excited as ours. Oh, yeah. Um, but, you know, getting back to Don, I remember uh, there was somebody who uh, was running to the line, throwing the ball, running the line, throwing the ball. And Don kept saying, you got to slow your feet down. You're going too fast. And uh, they said, well, I don't, I don't know how I'm going to do that. And he said, take your shoes off. And he said, What? Oh, yeah, so I take your shoes off, and uh, you're going to bowl in your socks. Well, if you ever tried to stop on a bowling lane in your socks, it's next to impossible. So you have to keep your – I actually tried this because I saw Don do it with somebody else after one of our practices. And it is, it's difficult. It's very difficult to stop yourself from sliding in your socks. And so your timing has to be just right, and your momentum has to be just right, and you got to feel you know, how to you know, get – you got to estimate that slide to make sure you're going to stop. Uh, before you hurt yourself, um, but Don had these little these little um, tricks in his bag, and he'd reach into his bag and pull them out. The quarter trick was amazing. I mean, this person is is and I, I know you remember because you were there. They were almost in tears. Yeah. I can't make the shots. I can't make the shots. I'm just not going to get any better. This is not working for me. And Don just stopped everybody. And he walks that quarter and puts it right on the twelve board at the arrows, and purposely didn't put it on an arrow. And I kn- and I noticed that and there was a reason for that. Yep. And he walked back and he said, "Hit." He said, "I don't care what you do, where the ball goes, hit that quarter, and I'll give you five bucks." And the ball, of course, goes right over the quarter. The quarter goes flying in the air, and the the bowler gets the five dollars. And he just says, "All I heard was I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't." And yet, when I offer you the five dollars to hit the quarter, you boom, it, it yeah. happens. And you know, he just had this way of just you know knowing the right little detail and the right little trick. The 200 workout. I mean, just the oh. mindset of the 200 workout. I mean, I touched us, on that one in a podcast. Yeah, that us was is, a brutal workout. Uh, you did it the year before I did. I didn't get to do it the second year. And the second year I came in, and you're just smiling at me. And I was, what are you smiling about? You see, they're gonna, and you just, and you're just thinking they're gonna kill us tonight. And Rob and I and Bart rode home from that. Bart Rutledge, the boys' coach from Kersley, and that was the quietest ride in the world going home. <laughs> Because the three of us didn't complete the workout. They shut the lanes off on us. Um, I think I was at 12 or 14, 15 games. Um, 
and my thumb was hamburger, my fingers ached, and all I wanted to do was get my ass back on those lanes, pardon my language, and try to get that. I think I had five. I needed six or four, and I needed five, whatever it was. I was one off, and I just, just could stand the idea of leaving without being done. But Don said, you're done, you're finished, you failed. And he and he would put that right in your face. And oh, yeah. just You didn't do it. You failed. You don't get another chance. Pack your stuff up and leave. You're being told what to do, and you're going to do it. And it was it was it was the it was the longest ride home in the histories of ride homes from bowling centers. Um, oh yeah, there were some long nights. Uh, the um, the six mark across six lane. I use this one in my high school. I still do matches. it. It's kind of a fun thing. I still do it to this day. But you know the amazing thing, and and, and for those of you who don't know, it's a six lane across six lane. You strike on home, which is your first lane. You have to mark on the second, third, fourth, and fifth lane. And then you have to strike on the sixth lane. And if you fail at any time, you go back to start. The thing that's amazed me over the years is who completes this? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's never my best bowlers. Never. <laughs> um, yep. I had a kid who was my seventh man on the team, I think he was, my my second year. And I've got this lineup and I've got, you know, I've got these kids on the team that are pretty good. And he goes down and back before anybody gets through it once. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I've seen it time and time again. And his focus, because his focus was more spare oriented, and he just you know, and he knew how to get the strikes. But um, going back to the five two hundred game, the 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 lesson that you only need two strikes to shoot a two hundred if you make your spares, if you work hard enough, if you do, you know, and if the shot's impossible, I mean, it's just you know, cannonball it, whatever you got to do. If you got to point it off the corner, if you got to go up between third and fourth arrow. Whatever you got to do to get to the pocket, leave yourself easy spares, and hopefully put a couple strikes together, yep. either in the 10th or somewhere before that, to get put you in a position to get that, to shoot that, that, that 200, to reach one of those goals. And the same thing with the, with the marks across the lane. You've got to put yourself in a situation. You get the strike to get off home base. On the next four lanes, you've got to find that line to make sure that you leave yourself a makeable spare. Yep. Um, and this comes into account with, you know, you're, you're bowling a match, you're up, you only need so many pins to win, and, you know, where are you gonna th- how are you going to throw the ball? Are you going to throw, the, are you gonna throw your normal strike ball? Are you going to throw the kind of ball that leaves you something easily to make? And if you've got both those shots in your repertoire, and, you know, and it, it makes you think a little bit more. And the funny thing is always that it's not the best bowlers that finish that six-frame uh, match, but there's lessons to be learned there, and uh, those I mean, that's just off the top of my head. So, a lot of those workouts that Don used to do with us, um, I and I've, I've already said this before, it's, some of them have taken me years to figure out what he was doing. So, he never he never sat down and explained to us, No, hey, you just need two strikes in a game to shoot a 200. Yep, it was literally years later before I figured that out, but that is one of the things that I explained to my girls. Every single year, it didn't didn't matter if they'd been on the team before or not. I ask him, how many strikes does it take to bowl a 200 game? What what's your maximum score if you fill every frame? Yeah. It those are are simple things that people don't get, and um, a, a lot of times uh, I would teach my girls how to keep score. Gordy Kaufman was one that came to me and said, "Why are you teaching your girls how to keep score? What does it matter?" They have automatic scoring in all the bowling centers now. And I said, don't you think it would be important at some point if your girl stood up on the lane and needed to, to mark to win the game? Don't you think it would be important that she knew that? Mm-hmm. And he said, oh, 
I never thought of that. <laughs> um, so I did. I uh, every year I would hand out a sheet at the beginning of the season, and uh, I would make up a score and have them try to figure it out. And and honestly, uh, one or two girls every year get it right. Uh, most of them get it wrong because they I'm, don't know how to keep score. I'm shocked how many of them say five. Oh, how many strikes do you need to shoot a 200? Five. Oh, yeah. Five, really? <laughs> yeah. You asked that question to your boys, yes, I asked, team, too. And a lot of times the fresh, there's a freshman throws up saying, five. I've had, like, I've had them say five. six or seven sometimes. Yeah. Like, you really, really think you need that many strikes? Yeah, really? Two. That's all you need is two. There's always they some. They have to be together. Yeah. Put but, them together. Yeah. Don never never sat down and explained that to us. And I, and I always wonder now, like, man, I was... A naive kid, and I didn't. All I know is we went in there, and he said, "Bowl five, two hundred, you can go home." And I thought, "Well, well, geez, I averaged two hundred. I ought to be out of here in yeah. five or six games, right?" Mm-hmm. And then I started throwing the ball, and I was like, "Oh, this is a tough shot. This is gonna, yeah. this, this might take me ten games to get done." <laughs> I didn't realize I was never gonna finish it. <laughs> right. But um, I just, I always wonder, like, had he sat us down and explained to us, "Look, you only need a double to shoot a two hundred. Mm-hmm. Before we did the workout, would it have been easier? Well, you know, but what did... Because I wasn't thinking like that. But uh, it goes back to that earned and given. And what you're given, you don't appreciate it as much as you earn. And um, if I give you a house, and say, here, Rob, I want to give you a house. Um, and you move into the house. I mean, you may say, this. you may appreciate it. Well, this is a great house. Thank you very much. But if I came to you and gave you the land and the materials, and then you built the house... I mean, you put the work into it uh, to make that happen, and it's it's learned and earned, and it's a little more satisfying now. Learned, yeah. yeah, learned behavior, or are given what's given to you is is going to be appreciated, but not as much as what you earned, and what you went out and worked for and got for yourself. And I think that's a lot where Don's lessons came from was just, you know, um, how many times are you going to hit your head against that post before you pass out, and when are you going to stop and say. No, oh, I don't. Okay, wait a minute. There's got to be a better way to do this. I always wonder, like, um, you know, uh, Mac McKinnon is a name that I've heard before that had mm-hmm. worked with Don. You said Bruce Sullivan. Yep. Um, I wonder, is that the way that they taught Don? They yeah. just went out and did the same kind of workouts, and they didn't tell him. I got a feeling that they enjoyed that part. <laughs> um, that they just beat it into him, you know. And it's, it's, you know, but that was that's a different era. I mean, you yeah, know, we're, it's true. We're, we're, they were they were older than us, and God bless them for what they learned and what they passed on. I mean, my program, the success that my program has, uh, I, I've told people over and over and over again, and I'll tell them, I haven't, I haven't created anything new. I haven't created a new way to bowl. I haven't created a new way to work out. I've just taken what I've been taught and what I've learned and what I've read and what I've seen um, and what I've seen on the collegiate tour and what my daughter shared with me from her collegiate team. I mean, I take a little bit from everybody. I, I, I found something new the other day. Um, I'm aching to try out um, with my boys because uh, it's, uh, it's a balance drill. Um, and I got it from the University of Michigan. But, you know, you're always trying to pick things here and there, pick things here and there. Oh, yeah, I, and, did, the same, I did the same thing. And I, and I have no desire not to share it. I got it from somebody, and I'm happy to share it with somebody. Yeah. Um, I've told a lot of coaches, my practices are open. You want to come sit in my practice? Come on in. Um, when we ran the, the, when they run the camps at Richfield in July, 
I've brought paperwork and handed it out to coaches, handed it out to the kids. Here's a workout if you want to try it. You don't have to do it, but if you're thinking about trying it. And coaches come around and take that stuff home with them. Yep. They take the around the world home with them, and they take the 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 freshman, sophomore, junior, senior analysis one home with them, and you know they take the they take all those back with them, and I say some of them are just a, a fun way to to focus on spares or focus on scoring. And uh, I remember it was one year girls came out to me, and she had the we were doing the sheet with the with the the point system for. And, you know, you have so many points, you're a freshman like that. And she aced it. And she said, tell me I aced this. And she was just excited as hell. And, uh, oh, pardon my language. And um, It's okay. She, it's uh, a podcast. You can say whatever you want. Yeah, and she was excited. And I thought, you know what, I, I could have kept that to myself, but I brought it in and I handed it out. Now, she may have been the only girl out of the 50, 60 people that were in that room that tried it that day. But she did. She tried it. And she was excited. And she built some confidence because she was able to complete it and she was able to do that. And I was like, that's fantastic. And I, you know, I think that's great. Um, I, you know, I've been more than happy to help anybody that wants to, to share this stuff. But Don's workouts, and of course he gave a lot of credit to Bruce and to Mac um, and then handed it down to us. Uh, is, is I mean, there, there's there's a lot of reason why my team's been so successful. I wonder if he knows how much of an influence he's had. Paul told me one time that he shared with him um, what you and I were doing, and he thought that that was really, really cool. And Paul told him, he says, you know, you know, you know, Tubby and Rob are really having a lot of success, and they're using your rules. And Dom was like, well, that's pretty cool. Um, I, I did not contact Dom when I went into the Hall of Fame because I know he didn't he doesn't come back here very often, and yeah, he lives in Florida. I should have at least extended a, a, a an olive branch and said, "Hey, I'm going in if you're if you know if you want to come up." But I kind of figured you know he doesn't come up very often, and I really didn't want to bother him with it. But um, in hindsight, I wish I would have at least mentioned it to him. All right, let's move on from uh, the Don Hargraves days. Okay, let's uh, let's talk a little bit. Because it was right around the same time um, in your your life and my life as well, let's talk about MJMA. Um, you and I, th- this podcast is obviously going to go for a long time. So we're Apparently. Gonna, maybe, maybe after this uh, MJMA discussion, we'll stop and then we'll come back and we'll do another one. Okay. Because we're already uh, 37 minutes in. Yeah, I told you that was going to happen. <laughs> um, but MJMA, you and I both have told this story before that uh, Dan Oppman... The guy that started MGMA, I think both you and I both really, really loved and still do love MGMA. We oh, think yeah. It's great for the sport of bowling, for the state of Michigan, for youth bowlers. There, as far as I'm concerned, there isn't anything better nope. out there for the competition. Uh, but you got you, you really got active into it because you got to know Dan a little more than I did because I, I was only around for one year of MGMA, yep. and you were actually part of the board of MGMA. I had a bad um, habit with that. So, <laughs> I would like you to touch on MJMA. Tell me what kind of influence it had on you, what you learned from it, what you learned from Dan Ottman, and uh, tell us, tell the listeners what you think of MJMA. Should should our youth bowlers be bowling in that? Well, okay, that's that's a pretty that's an interesting question. The latter question, we'll we'll, we'll approach that one last. Um, you and I both got a letter from Dan Ottman. Talking about what he was calling MJMA. Back they, in the summer of 1986. I believe yeah, that's correct. Yep. When it started. And um, 
they'd already had one tournament, but they actually didn't call the first one MJMA. It was kind of a test tournament. And what Dan wanted to do was he wanted to bring the pro shots that were, at the time, very popular on Saturday morning on ABC when they broadcast the pros. He wanted to bring a pro shot environment to youth in Detroit and uh, surrounding areas of Michigan. Now, Ohio had already started this with JTBA, so he was going to start a Michigan version of it. And you and I had received letters, and we kind of went around asking people, who's this guy, what's going on? And we got mixed reviews, um, but I think ultimately we both decided we were going to try it out. And we went down, and it was... Now, it was a bit of a, a mess. The house had forgot we were coming. We ended up sitting around for like an hour before we uh, actually ever got on the lanes. They cut the second day activities because they weren't prepared for us. Um, but we bowled an eight-game block. We came back the next day. We bowled 12 games of match play. You and I both made the cut um, against some of the some very uh, skilled uh, talent from Michigan and Ohio. Um, and then we got in the match play portion, and then afterwards... Um, we went back home, and we both went back home just thrilled. What an incredible experience um, to, to bowl in these pro shots, to, uh, to, to fight right alongside these other bowlers, uh, you know, and we, on a condition that was just and, brutal. Uh, brutal. And this was the year before short oil. Yeah. So, th- so we were bowling league on long oil, and we were bowling this competition on pro shots. So, uh, and plus the introduction of resin hadn't happened yet. We were pretty much born with urethane and plastic. Yep. And we were trying to find ways to, to score on those, in those conditions. There's a lot of physical uh, requirements in those types of matches. But it challenged us at a level that we had never been challenged at before. And I think what Dan saw was that it was something the kids wanted. They didn't want to be... They didn't want uh, uh, an easy shot. They didn't want a house shot. They didn't want a, uh, which again we hadn't gone short oil yet, so the scores hadn't really popped yet. But we were still, you know, bowling on that. But he wanted to give us a feel of that what it would be like to be on a pro tournament. And we we had the we get the qualifying and we get the match play and we get the step ladder. And um, some of us are never going to see a PBA event. We're never going to bowl in a PBA event. I mean, it's kind of like any other sport. One percent of the people who bowl are going to get to to the PBA. Maybe even less than that. 1% of basketball is going to make NBA. 1% of football players are, are going to make the NFL or, or less. But here was an opportunity for us to bowl in the same shots against competition of our own age, our own peer group. And that just, it exploded. And the first year we did it, we had a blast. And, and I was lucky enough to make a step ladder and, and uh, had, a, had almost, and almost won a championship. Um I was vindicated, you know, so many years <laughs> later. My daughter actually won one and yours too. Um, hey, you did pretty success. darn good. That second place finish is <laughs> nothing to be ashamed of. I just wish of. I could remember it. Um, <laughs> but, um, no, I remember every about every second of it, actually. Um, the and Then, you know, the next year you stepped off. I did it for another year. And then after that, I helped Dan out for a couple of years because he was afraid that, his staff was going to go down, and he was looking for his people to, to help out. So I, I was around Dan for about four years. He was very, very passionate about bowling. He was a touring, he was a regional touring pro. He was a representative of the PBA. Uh, he ran some of the major leagues in the Detroit area, competed in some of the major leagues in the Detroit area, helped with Michigan majors and things like that. But, you know, here he was taking his time 
to put this program together for the youth, and I think he, he changed a lot of lives. And oh, no doubt um, about that. definitely was a positive influence on me, um, a positive influence on you. Um, and I, I mean, and, and both our, our daughters, your daughters, my daughter, had incredible success in MJMA, winning titles, winning championships, uh, winning scholarships, uh, which are coming in very handy this year. Um, now Kaylee's in her fifth year. Um, and it's just, it, it's ran right. And Jerry's doing a great job of maintaining what Dan did. And Dan's saying, and Jerry really reiterates this all the time, you won't thank me today, but you'll thank me tomorrow. And that is because when you go out and you're bowling those shots and you're putting your time in, even though you know you're not going to make the cuts, you're getting that experience. And then when you get older and then when you get a little wiser and you get a little better and you start making those cuts. And then you get a little older and a little wiser and a little stronger and you start making step ladders. And you start making, and you start making, uh, and you start rolling for possible championships. And you start to realize, you know, let's go back to this, that thing. Earned it or, or given it was given to you if it was given to you if, you if i gave you the shot and i gave you the ball and i gave you the line and i gave you everything you needed would you appreciate it but if you had to work for it if you had to put the time in and you had to build yourself up to it i mean when my daughter's bowling for the mjma championship the tournament champions you had the same experience when she's on that lane and there's no other match after this there's nobody left it's just your daughter and that girl and your daughter prevailed and won a championship my daughter Put the pressure on the other girl, made her throw a mark in the tenth. Probably the most pressure anybody's ever had on him. Kaylee put the pressure on her. The girl marked. I was proud of her. It was second place. Still proud as hell of the of the effort. A lot farther than I ever got. Um, oh, it's you a, got a second place. Come on. <laughs> it was in a tournament. It wasn't tournament champions. Don't sell but yourself it was, short. It was a. It's a huge accomplishment. And in the and it's and. Um, I said this when I went into the Flint Bowling Hall of Fame. It's not the night I got recognized that was the coolest part. The coolest part was the journey from the time I, I got my first bowling ball at GLC and and everything that led up to that night um, with my ability on the lanes. And that's what it was, too, with Kaylee it was, and, with, and with Lindsay and with Hannah. It was what they went through to get there, how hard they worked. Yep. And they'll turn that around and they'll use that in school in training, in work, and in and their life. lives, and we know they're going to be great, great kids because of it, because they earned what they got, and they are, and we're proud of them. That's very, very true. And that's, a lot of life lessons. Yeah, a lot of life lessons, and but a lot of kids go into MJMA and it's sticker shock, boom, you know, oh my God, I bowl terrible, terrible, terrible. Oh, I tell the stories, Lindsay, my oldest daughter, Lindsay, was averaging uh, high one nineties on. You know, Saturday morning league as a youth, we signed her up for MJMA. I think it was her freshman year was the first time she bowled in MJMA. And I'm not exaggerating. I believe she averaged about 125 for her eight games. And it was brutal. And uh, we went through uh, tournament after tournament like that. Uh, she she improved the next tournament to average about 140. Then it went to about 160. And then it was 170. And it was a learning process oh, for yeah. her. And uh, it, it got to be, I mean, like a year later before she made a cut in one of those tournaments. But it was a learning process and then made the cut and started uh, winning some match games and then made a stepladder. And then ultimately she ended up winning that Tournament of Champions her last year of being eligible as a, a youth bowler. 
Um, but it was definitely a process. Yep. And it's brutal. But I think if you were to ask her, she'll tell you the same thing. Life lessons. It yeah. was working hard. It was all worth it. It uh, made her the bowler that she is and the person that she is. And that's and that's the true test. Is you take them to their first one, and they crash on the rocks, and you say, "Okay, there's another one in four weeks. Are we going?" And I did that with Ryan. I did it with Kaylee. Are you gonna go? And uh, Kaylee was like, "Well, yeah." <laughs> but some people, uh, it's not for. Some people no. will say, "Yeah, that was brutal. I don't think I'm going back." Uh, yeah. Some some kids never do go back, but the ones that go back, uh, I believe it's worth it. So oh, yeah. I've always. My 15 years of coaching at Kersley, I've always promoted MJMA to my girls. Oh, yeah. And exactly. I've always told them, if you want to get better, you got to go bowl some more. Go bowl on the Tuesday Night Scratch League over there at Bees. Go bowl in Jeff oh, yeah. Wirtz's uh, Junior Gold tournaments. Go to Junior Gold. Go bowl in everything oh, that yeah. you can bowl in because there's going to come a point where you're not going to be able to. There's a podcast in there somewhere. You know that, right? You haven't talked about summer conditioning. Because we oh, yeah. both talked about the fact that as coaches, this sport's a 365 sport. And one of the things that is very important to collegiate bowlers and to high school bowlers is keeping your game up over the summer. Because if you don't, you'll pay for it in the fall. Oh, yeah. And we'll just leave that there, and you can run with that at a later <laughs> date. Um, but um, MJMA is, um, you know, and Dan was not a proponent, was not for high school bowling. And it was after he was, I mean, just before he left us, unfortunately, that he conceded and stopped having tournaments during the high school, school season. Yeah, because he said the, the with the, the contrast between MHSAA, um, and that's another discussion for another day, too. <laughs> but um, uh, it's, the, you're not going to get that type of competition. And, and, you know, talking about the summer conditioning again, you could practice all summer. Just like you could practice all high school season. But if you don't go out and get in matches and you don't go out and get in tournaments, you, you're not testing the product. You can build the product. You can create the product. You can shine the product. You can enrich the product. But until you test the product, you don't really know what you've got. And that's where the tournaments and the competition come in. You've got to test the metal. Yeah, I used to tell my can't simulate my, that. I used to tell my kids that all the time. Uh, the the Tuesday scratch league at Bees that uh, Denise Haggerty was running for years. Um, at one point, there was literally eighty kids showing up oh, there on a that. Tuesday at five o'clock to bowl in this league. And I would tell the kids, "You got to go bowl in this league because um, everybody makes the cut. So you're gonna bowl a match mm-hmm. play game, and if you win, you move on, and you're gonna get that experience. <laughs> I can't I can't simulate that for you." When we go out and practice, just you and I practice, I cannot simulate a head-to-head match play where you win and you move on and lose, you go home. Right. I can't simulate that, but this league does it on Tuesday at B's. Against your peers. And it's, Against really, your peer group. it's really unfortunate that that league has kind of dwindled down. In fact, last year, I think there was only, most nights was 25 to 30 kids. Yeah, it's, it's, there's been some changing. It's a really good league, and the experience, like you're saying, you got to test the product, you you got to go out there and you got to bowl against your peers and you got to learn how to win and lose. Yep. And there's no better place to do that than bowling in those tournaments and bowling in leagues like that. And you got to test yourself. I mean, you got to, uh, I would send Kaylee there some nights with just her urethane and her plastic. She said, well, everybody else is throwing resin. I said, I don't care. 
that what you gain from the tonight is what's most important. Um, it's you're gonna it's gonna change the shot you bowled on every week for the last ten weeks. Now it's a different shot because your equipment's different. How are you gonna How are you gonna overcome the shot with this with this more limited equipment, or at least maybe in your eyes, limited equipment? And what she found was that she was able to be consistent with her score, but not shoot the big game. But when she got in the match play and the lane started to burn up, all of a sudden she had the control that everybody else had lost. And she was having success in the match play. And I told her, we didn't do this you could have success in the match play. We did this to have you take a different approach to how you bowl. And we've done that with our practices too. I told the guys, that I tell my guys, you don't have to do this, but I would prefer you had a resin and a plastic arena, urethane and a plastic ball on your bag. And we'll have practices where, you know, you know, I'll just say no resins, plastics and urethanes only. And uh, especially if we could get a fresh oil shot. Okay, okay, what are you going to do when you don't have that little, that extra little snap on the back end? How are you going to make the shot? How are you going to get your ball in the pocket? How are you going to get the results you want? And uh, make them work. Make them, make them take a different look at it. Mm-hmm. That's a good idea. Larry Gothier taught me that one. I'll, t- uh-huh. I'll, give, I'll give him the credit. He used to make uh, his son go to Saturday mornings with just uh, urethane and plastic. And uh, Garrett would joke, I tried to sneak out a resin, and he wouldn't let me. <laughs> he said because Larry wanted him to work a little harder on Saturday morning than just kind of, you know, just laying out a urethane, a resin and just letting it snap back. And, uh, and well, I that, said, that, Garrett, uh, so I stole that one from Larry. That kind of touches on the point that um, I know I've heard this and I've thought this myself as a parent. If I'm paying... Whatever it is, 50, 60, I don't even know what it costs to bowl MJMA anymore. $60 a tournament, $70 a tournament, whatever you're paying, you're paying for the future success of your kid. Not, right. not to go there and watch them average 126 when they're a 200 average bowler, which I have done, and it's frustrating. It's very, very frustrating oh, to yeah, watch your tough. kid bowl like that. But you've got to <laughs> think, you, you really got to think about the big picture. Like, Sooner or later, this is going to pay off. And I think if you ask any of those kids, like all of the kids that you've had through Davison that have been successful, all of the kids through Kersley that have been successful, they were MGMA bowlers. Oh, yeah. They had experience that a lot of those other kids in high school don't get because because people like you are pushing them to go bowl in tournaments like that. Oh, yeah. So um, it is, we're 54 minutes in. So we're gonna we're gonna start to wrap this up, and I'm gonna have to have you back because okay. anybody that knows us knows that I like to talk. Tubby might like to talk just a touch more than me, <laughs> but this dude's got so much knowledge in the game of bowling here in the Greater Flint area that uh, maybe we'll, we'll end up having to do our own little show. Uh, <laughs> there'll be more than two podcasts with us. Get my agent on the line. Um, you got your quote ready? I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna have you give the oh. quote. To end our uh, our podcast today, um, I appreciate you coming over to do this. We're going to do this again. Um, tell me, what do you think? What do you think of this? This this is amazing. When you first started doing it, I was I was I was excited to hear it, and I was I was actually we're driving over to Wisconsin uh, to move Kaylee, and I was riding by myself, so I, I popped in the, your podcast and I was listening to them, and then discussions, hearing what you're saying, and thinking about the the you know the experiences that went along with those decisions and, and the experiences and, and just, you know, I just, uh, yep, that's right. I'm, and I'm talking to you as you're talking, even though you can't hear me. Yep. That's right. Rob, <laughs> that's right. 
you got it. That's that's you know you're hitting it right on the head. And I would say you know hey tell them about this even though I know you can't hear me and you, you know, sooner or later you get around to that. Well, a um, lot of the experiences that I have experienced in bowling are because of you. I think our friendship has brought us both a lot of uh, incredible experiences that we wouldn't have had. And a lot of it uh, centered around bowling. I mean, we, we met some fantastic people. Oh, yeah. Um, we've had some great competitions. I mean, I've, I've got lifelong friends from the sport of bowling. I think about uh, John Roof, uh, Bob Wagner. I would have never met him. Oh, Kenny Nick, Chappell, Nick, Nick Reeser. Ken Chappell. Um, even even uh, Buddha, Jim Menzing. Oh, Menzing was fantastic. And Jimmy. Um, oh, yeah. I, I would have never met any of those people. And now... Ed Lee. I mean, God, what a character. Oh, oh I can He I'm was gonna... so much fun to bowl oh, with. Oh, he was such a blast. But, um, yeah, there, there's a lot of people that you would have never met. And now that has expanded to, you know, you're the coach of a high school team. And now you've touched all of those kids. You've been doing it for... 16, 16 years. years. Pretty cool. So 16 years worth of kids. I mean, if you multiply that by at least 10 every year, 160 kids that you've influenced in some way. That's scary. <laughs> um, yeah. And and those kids now are parents. Yep. So uh, somehow your influence is going to rub off on them as well. Yep. I'm getting, uh, getting children of, of people I've... I've uh known and and you know that eventually i'm gonna get a second generation and that's pretty scary it's pretty incredible yeah. to think about it and uh all of that started with us bowling yep in a bowling started alley. with that that tournament yeah linda loretta god god rest your soul yeah great okay. people well, i got this ready queued up if you're ready i am ready so we are over 57 minutes into this podcast we're gonna wrap this one up it doesn't look like I'm going to have to edit this one at all. This one's going right to the internet okay. for everyone to hear. And uh, I will definitely have you back. And we're going to do this quite a few more times, I think. So um, as I've said in my previous podcast, I was going to end things with a quote. Um, I think Bob is on board with that. And uh, he likes his quotes as well. So he's got a great one. I'm going to let him read his quote. And we'll wrap this one up for today. Uh, listen to us. Keep listening to us. And uh, we'll be back here in the next few weeks with some more with Mr. Tubbs. So thanks for joining me today. Go ahead. Okay, this is, uh, Rob and I are very moved by the team, the team, the team. We both use it for training for our bowlers. This is an additional quote from Bo Schembechler. And it reads, By your own soul learn to live. If some men force you, take no heed. If some men hate you, have no care. Sing your song, dream your dream, hope your hopes, and pray your prayers. Bo Schembechler. He's got some great quotes. We're both Michigan fans, Michigan oh, yes. football fans for sure. <laughs> All right, thanks again for joining me. Uh, we'll do this again next week for sure. Uh, have a good day. See ya. <laughs>